thank you, Klaus, for, for having me. I'm really excited for this today. I think the good place to start would be, you know, the journey to Salesforce and the journey, my journey in sales. Welcome to Winning Streaks. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa, and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls, and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical, and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. I started in sales when I was 11 years old. You know, I was going door to door snow shoveling. Uh, my parents were new immigrants to Canada. And, you know, obviously I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Like we were, we were struggling at the time and I wanted to be the 11 year old that was supporting my family or figuring out a way. And so, you know, I asked my parents if I could go out and, and knock on some doors and shovel some driveways. They said no. And then one day as I was shoveling our driveway, I decided, screw it. I'm going to go do it anyway. And then I went to like the next door down. They said no. Went to the following door. They said no. Finally, on my like fourth or fifth house, I got a yes and I got a $20 bill in my hands and it was over. You know, that for me was my start in, in sales. And then I think we had $60 that first day, brought it back to my mom, showed her the money. And she was like, okay, maybe we let this kid out of the house a little bit more. So, and especially, you know, in the cold winter. So that's where it really started for me. But then as you grow up, you know, your, your parents start to tell you to get a more professional job. And so my first job was as as a at an indoor playground in ottawa called cosmic adventures it was like an indoor children's playground so really got to learn a lot about empathy and kindness and soft skills there because i'm dealing with kids all day long so that was a fun experience sometimes cleaning toilets which was an experience in itself sometimes cleaning up after kids which was an experience in, in itself but i realized i kind of wanted to to sort of go to the next level and apply the sales skills that i had learned and apply the soft skills that I had learned into one. So then I made my way to Nordstrom. I worked there as a retail associate uh, for some time. And then, you know, said again, I want to take it to the next level. And I was going to university as a uh, BCom in finance. You know, I was studying finance. And so uh, naturally the progression was to get to TD. So yeah, I, I made my way from where I was working at TD. And what I would do is that when I was a student, I would work in the, you know, when we were in school, I would work at the branch and there, it's a sales role. Like when you were a teller, it was a sales role. And then in the summer, I would do internships. So I would try to, my, try, my, try to find my way to Toronto to do an internship here. I did one sales and strategic in, internship. I did one with TD Securities, so on and so forth. And, you know, again, the, the goal is, I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but my parents always told me, you know, you can be a doctor, you can be an engineer, you can be a, you can be a lawyer, or you can be a failure. And those were sort of the, sort of the options. But my heart just wasn't called to that. So, but the next best thing for them was, okay, something in finance, something in banking. Right. So uh, after doing multiple internships and multiple sales roles within TD, I ultimately ended up taking a post, I accepted a post-grad offer within one of TD Bank's graduate programs. But in my heart of hearts, I knew that wasn't right. I knew that I wouldn't be able to sit at a cubicle and I knew I wouldn't be able to work through Excel sheets and crunch numbers. Like that just wasn't me. And so... I, I remember the experience I got when I would sell at TD or, or sell at Nordstrom and what that felt like. And so when I did my internship in, in um, Toronto, I started going to some sales networking events. I started talking to people. I started putting myself out there. I didn't even know that SaaS sales was a thing. I didn't even know that there were salespeople for technology. I thought people just went to the website and bought it. And so 
you know, met the right people and, and had some conversations. And I went back to UAuto and I was like, okay, well, how do I put myself in the best position possible to make the transition from banking into, to, into technology, into, into technology sales? And so I started uh, the first ever sales club at, at UAuto, which was called the UAuto Sales Society. We ran multiple events and workshops around, um, you know, sales methodology, how to break into sales, like things of that nature. And that ultimately ended up getting me an office tour of Salesforce. Uh, it's funny, I think Ryerson was doing a, an, a tour of the office and I just sort of pinged the president. I was like, hey, can I tag along? So I, I drove up from Ottawa, tagged <laughs> along and, and that did it. And, uh, and yeah, so ultimately it ended up getting me an interview as a, as a, for an internship, but I knew going into that internship one, it was going to be really hard to explain to my dad why I was taking an internship over a full-time graduate position at TD bank. Like that was going to be really difficult. And, you know, my dad for the first two years that I worked at Salesforce, and even when I was taking the job, he thought I was going to work, going to work at a call center. So he thought, I, you know, picture this, like going from TD bank, like this graduate high degree program that was paying double the base that I was going to get paid as a, as a Salesforce, you know, junior rep. And he thought I was going to work at a call center for that. So obviously that didn't look too well. So what I did was I had really good results as a, as a TD bank representative. And what I did when I showed up to the interview is I just put my best foot forward. The interview went really well. And at the end of the interview, I said, Hey, look, I, I know that this is for an internship role, but given the results that I've shown you today, I brought them on print. I said, Hey, given the results I've shown you today and you know, how this interview has gone, I'd love it if you could consider me for a full-time SDR role. And the rest was history. You know, I got the position and, um, and was able to get my foot in through the door. Since then, um, I was able to be a top SDR, top BDR, um, and top account executive at Salesforce. And I'll share sort of my formula for, for getting there in a little bit. Uh, most recently, I work in the healthcare and life sciences industry here at Salesforce. So work with a lot of growing uh, healthcare companies, uh, a lot of which you know, we're heavily impacted by COVID, some negatively, some positively, and sort of the timing in terms of performance was some, some things are right place, right time. And it all sort of came together to help me uh, have a really good year last year and the year before. Uh, and now I work with companies, 50 to 200 employees and, uh, and get to, you know, create really empowering and impactful projects that ultimately go back to the patient and help you have a better patient experience, hopefully at the end of the day. So that's a little bit about my uh, my story to Salesforce, but happy to take any questions uh, about that. For me, you know, especially going through the SDR BDR roles at Salesforce, which are very prospecting driven, very, you know, as Jane was referring to, you're sending videos, you're sending emails, you're cold calling, like all that good stuff is is what you're doing in SDR and BDR, and I still do it to this day in AE. But it, what I do now is I have that non-negotiable time in the morning. So for me, eight to ten every morning is my top prospecting time block. That's where, you know, the first thing I do is I, I open my laptop in the morning. Um, I do my research on who, whoever I'm going to call that day, whoever I'm going to talk to, reach out to. Some days it might be existing accounts. Some day it might be new accounts that I'm trying to break into, get my list ready. And then from eight to 10, I might send them, or sorry, eight to nine, I might send them emails and then nine to 10, send them calls. And then sometimes I'll reverse that depending on the day. So that's what that looks like from, you know, 10 to 12, I'm then following up. So uh, for any existing opportunity that I have, anything that I need to move from one stage of the pipeline to another, you know, someone's not replying to a meeting, you know, I'm trying to get a demo scheduled, things of that nature. Like that's what I'm trying to do from 10 to 12. And then usually 12 to the end of the day, I'm in prospecting meetings, enablement, trainings, things of that nature. So that's what the typical day look like. 
looks like. And I say typical day with uh, quotes because ultimately in sales, at the end of the day, you don't really have a typical day. You know, things change, things develop and progress over time. This is a little, these are some little pictures of the UADA sales side of what I was doing there. It also prompted me to start my podcast, Winning Streaks, uh, which is, you know, I, I interview top performing salespeople and entrepreneurs to figure out what makes them tick and how they succeed. And then Sales TO was one of those networking events that I went to while I was in, in Toronto. And that ultimately allowed me to put my foot in the door at, at Salesforce. And then on the next slide, Linda, you can see like this, this is sort of once I got to Salesforce, some of the results and some of the, um, you know, accolades I was able to pr produce, thankfully. And um, looking back, I, I remember, so my dad, I always go back to this guy. I just think it's a funny story. But in my second year, again, my dad still thought I worked at a call center and I was like, watch, like I'll, I'll, I'll bring in six figures this year. I just said that I just called, called it out at the beginning of the year. And he said, and he pulled out a piece of paper, he wrote on it, you won't make six figures. And then like got me to sign it. And then he, he we still have the note in our house. And I, looking back now, I think he used it as an opportunity to challenge me in a way, but and again, I still thought I worked at a call center, but at the end of the year, I got my T4. As soon as I got it, I emailed it to him and I just said, look, and that got it done. And now he's a very big fan of Salesforce. He, he always talks about it to his friends and family. So it's, it's great. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is sort of what I've been able to do since. Now we're going to talk about a little bit about, you know, how I succeed always in my first 90 days in sales. Now I've, I've faced my uh, challenges and such, but this is sort of the formula that I follow that allows me to really get up and running in a really short amount of time. And so this next image you'll see, I don't know how many of you will, will notice this face, but this is Tony Robbins, who's probably the best personal development coach, high performance coach in the world. And he says, long ago, I realized that success leaves clues and that people who produce outstanding results do specific things to create those results. I believe that if I precisely duplicated the actions of others, I could reproduce the same quality of results that they had. So a lot of people will jump into a role and think, okay, you know, I'm going to create from square one. I'm going to, I'm going to go on my own. I'm going to be a lone wolf and I'm going to try and hit my quota or I'm going to try and succeed at whatever it is that you're trying to do. But the reality is that there are people who have already paved a path. There are already people who have experienced success. So all I have to do is learn what that is and then apply my own spin to it. It's like, um, you know, changing the wheels of a car. You might change the wheels to winter tires, which allows it to have a different tread, but ultimately the wheel does a very similar thing and gets the job done. There's a couple of things that I do when I enter in the role to mirror this process, which is first I listen, right? I'm getting time on the calendar with the best people in the business and the not so best people to learn what What's separating the top performers from the not? I, this has always been something that I love studying. I love studying, you know, Kobe Bryant, Muhammad Ali, a lot of the greats to figure out how or, how do they separate themselves from the pack. And the first thing you got to do is listen. What do they do doing differently that other people are not? The second is learning, taking notes, you know, understanding, um, taking notes, applying that to my sales process, uh, getting recordings, whatever it may might be, and absorbing their knowledge to do so. You know, I've I've entered uh, the growth business segment at uh, Salesforce, and I'm already getting time on the calendar with uh, people who I believe are the best, paying paying them like paying for their lunch, and you know trying to ask the right questions to figure out how to get there. Right. The third is apply, like to listen to what you put in practice, apply it, and you'll realize that some things don't work for you. Like it's just not in your personality to do some things over another. And so focus on the strength, add your own spin to it, and that's how you adapt to the situation. So if you ever want a formula to follow to be successful in your first 90 days, this is really the first one.
just learn what the best people are doing, apply it, and then add your own spin to it. So that's step step number one. Step number two, uh, yeah, so what are they saying during their calls? How do they run their business? How can you turn those observations into action? Then how can you make it better? Number two is what gets measured gets managed. I believe this is Peter Drucker, I think, um, who says this. Once you know the numbers, you can easily figure out where to make the adjustments. Really, there's a there's a golden formula in sales. This is the formula. Act more activities lead to more meetings, lead to more pipeline, lead, which ultimately leads to more revenue. Now there is a there's a little bit of caveat here, which I'll discuss, but this is the first step is whenever you enter a new role, the more customers you speak to, the more you'll understand their language. What do they talk about? What problems do they have? What kind of conversations are they having within their companies? The more you talk to people, the more you understand them. It's not a, like research is only going to tell you so much. One thing that I always say is that the simple way to be successful is that action always beats analysis. You can do a lot of analysis and we can get paralyzed by, analysis, that, by that analysis, analysis paralysis. But ultimately, the action is what's going to allow you to understand what works and what doesn't. So that's, that's sort of the, the meat and potatoes. But the caveat will be in the next step here which is that in the first 90 days, your quantity will lead to quality. You know, the amount of people you talk to, the amount of emails you send, the amount of videos you send, so on and so forth. After that, your quality overtakes your quantity because now you understand the conversation. Now you understand the problem. Now you understand the customer. So instead of getting two meetings out of every 20 calls, now you're getting five meetings out of every 20 calls because you understand them better. So the quality increases after that time and, and you can adjust your numbers accordingly. And so a really good way to reverse engineer what you need to be doing, any sales role, you're gonna have a quota. So first you wanna identify what is my quota? That's step number one. From there, you'll have to have a conversation around, okay, and this is how this is what people use Salesforce for. Like, how, what's my quota? How much pipeline do I need to create? How much? How many meetings do I need to generate that pipeline and then ultimately, how many calls do I need to make? How many emails do I need to send to generate that, that many meetings? So that's sort of, you always want to reverse engineer from the goal. I have a million dollar, multi-million dollar quota this year, you know, and it's, that's really big, like thinking about it, I'm already getting a little nervous. Like it's, it's such a big goal that that, that is not something I can think about on a day-to-day -day basis. What I have to think about is what can I do today to prove that I've had a successful day because I'm not going to hit a million dollars today. That's just not going to happen. So when I identify that pipeline, when I identify how many meetings I need, when I identify how many connects I made, you know, that is ultimately my measure of success. So for me, you know, a successful day looks like setting two meetings, making 10 connects, you know, having responses to X, X amount of emails. So that's how, that's the sort of formula I follow. And it makes sales a lot less anxious. It makes it a, a lot more easy to, to digest um, and not necessarily feel the pressure of your quota all the time, because ultimately it doesn't matter. Like, this is gonna sound weird, but to me, it's not about whether I hit my quota or not. I could care less. To me, it's about, have I put my best foot forward to give me the best shot at succeeding? And if at the end of the day, the answer is no, that's a, that's a, that's a conversation I need to have with myself. Uh, but if the answer is yes, and I, and I miss my quota, no problem. I put my best foot forward. And then finally, the last bit is the X factor. And I think this is an exercise that all of you should do. I'll talk about the winning traits of a successful sales top performer. And this is one of them. 
Eric Thomas, he's one of the best motivational speakers in the world. And he says, when you find your way, you find your why, you find a way to make it happen. Okay. And so an exercise that you can do to figure out your why is the following. It'll be on the next slide. The exercise is asking yourself, why do you want to be in sales or whatever question it is that you want to answer? The first question is always why, you know, and a lot of people do that. I'm sure a lot of people, you, you guys have done it where you ask yourself, all right, well, why do I want to do this? The secret is continuing to ask the same question. And I ask it five times. So for me, I, you know, I enjoy being a top performer. I, I'm always striving to be the best, but I really need to understand why I wanted that. Like, why do I care so much about trying to be the best or being the best? And I realize it's because I want to find out if I can be as good as I think I can be. And then when I ask the why question again, it's because I don't want to feel like I wasted my potential. And then when I ask it again, it's because I don't like having regrets. And then when I ask it again, it's because regrets make me feel like I wasted my time. And I value time greatly. You know, time is the greatest currency in the world. It's all we have. We can never get it back. I would highly encourage you to, to follow this exercise. If you guys want to follow sort of more of my content and I talk about, I post about sales every single day, SDR, BDR, AE positions. Um, and I have my own podcast on sales and high performance. You can find me on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, we can link it after, but that's a good way to, to find it. And then as the last thing, uh, Linda, if you don't mind sharing what I had sent you over uh, LinkedIn just now, I'll show you the top 10 traits of a sales high performer. And this, I'm lucky enough to have found a mentor. He came on my podcast. He was at Salesforce and worked in our enterprise sales division. So he's sold multi-million dollar transformational projects at Salesforce, you know, 20 million was some of the biggest counts in the world. Uh, plus he was the number one seller at Salesforce multiple years in a, in a row. Um, and now he runs his own sales coaching business. Um, his name's Ian Koniak. Great guy. He's I one thing that I encourage and one thing that I wish I had done earlier in my career is find a mentor. You know, a, a lot of people said it to me and I just didn't listen. And the way you find a mentor is, you know, just by asking. Like if you see someone that you admire and you want to learn, like a lot of people say you have to provide value to them. Like you have to have a, a bi-directional value. And I think to some degree, that's not always true. I think a lot of people are just willing to help. You know, I'm one of those people. So if you ever want to connect with me, like I'm happy to help you guys out in whatever way I can, but that's step number one. So there's 10 traits that really make an elite sales performer, a high performer uh, within the profession. So number one is they have a strong why. They understand exactly why they need to succeed and they take the time to update their why every year. So they continually stay motivated and hungry. You got to have a North Star and uh, a quota is not a good enough why. A number is not a good enough why. I was speaking to a gentleman on my podcast the other day. He was overweight at, at times. He was uh, struggling from gambling addiction, uh, things of that nature, and he was in sales. But then he found a strong why, and it was his mom. And it was mom having the belief in him that he could change and that he could impact other people around the world and share his story about recovering from you know gambling and uh, recovering from being overweight and things of that nature. And so now he uses sales as his platform to share uh, positive mental health practices, share, you know, things of that nature. So his mom is his why. That's a very strong why, you know, for a long time, my dad was my why. And so that's a good way to follow it. Uh, number two, sales high performers are all in. They give 100% to the current role and understand that the grass is never greener on the other side, but is greener where they water it. And so another interesting conversation I had on the podcast the other day with a gentleman. And so there's a lot of talk about side hustles these days and like having multiple streams of income. And the unique thing about sales is that, it, look, if you want to start a side hustle, great, that's good. 
Like my podcast is my side hustle. But the unique thing about side hustles is that sales is your side hustle. Sales is one of the only professions in the world where your income can be directly correlated to the work that you put in. So if I just took the time that I would have spent on my side hustle and applied it to my role in sales, if I just substituted the time, I could probably glean better results, more improved results and make more money. He, and I'll talk about this in a sec, he invested in himself, he invested in his profession. And now he's, you know, 29 pulling in seven figures a year. You know, I did, it's not about the money, but it's about where's your time best allocated and where can you produce the best results. And so I think sales is one of those professions where maybe if you're in another career, a different career where that has a more stable income, a side hustle could be useful. If you're in sales, it still could be useful, but you have to question like, how do you want to spend your time to, to be able to produce the results that you need to produce? That's number two. Number three, they're disciplined. Elite performers show up every day. They do the difficult things that others aren't willing to do and understand that hard now means easy later. Um, I'm running into that right now. I have a, a very large number, as I, as I said. And if I do the hard things now, like researching my accounts, going through their annual reports, going through their CEO's LinkedIn's, their CRO's LinkedIn's, figuring out what matters to them, and I you know, put that together in a document, that's going to make the rest of my year so much more easier. Now I don't have to go into the research every single time I'm looking for something to say and speak to on the phone or, or email about or video about like so on and so forth. So showing up every day, like I, I think I talked about it earlier, but eight to 10 is my non-negotiable prospecting time every single morning. And I have that non-negotiable time. I don't allow anybody to book meetings over it. That's my time. And sometimes I don't prospect. Like sometimes I won't prospect during that time, but that's my time. So like, for example, this is, again, this is another beauty of sales that Jane mentioned is that you can control your own schedule at the end of the day. You know, people can put a quota over my head, but ultimately like I control the way that I spend my day to get to that. So for today, as an example, this meeting was booked over my prospecting time and I was totally okay with that because, you know, Monday to Thursday, I typically go rather hard and then I need a day in the week where I go a little bit lighter and where I allow myself to, to chill a little bit. And I actually have a physical telltale sign. My, my eyelid tends to twitch when I get a little bit too stressed or or uh, worked up and that was starting to happen yesterday. So I was like, okay, I need to, I need to have an easy morning. So that's, that's sort of like a, a model I follow. Number four is very critical. They focus on RGAs and RGAs essentially means revenue generating activities. So this means that any elite sales professional, there's something called the Pareto principle, which is that 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. So you have to evaluate anything in life that you're doing. Where do you percent, where do you spend that 20% of your time or where can, where can you spend your time to get that 80% result? Right. And so for salespeople, it's two things, it's creating pipeline and it's uh, moving forward existing pipeline. So I try to allocate my day in such a way where 80% of it is spent doing one of those two activities, creating pipe or moving it, creating deals or moving them through the, yeah. through my pipeline, moving deals forward. Number five, they're persistent. You know, they understand that just because somebody doesn't get back to you, somebody says no, doesn't mean they're not interested. I can't tell me tell you how many people I have emailed that email me back saying, thank you for following up. Like I was so busy, I couldn't get to it. Now let's talk. On the like seventh or eighth email that I've sent them. So there's a lot of that out there. And sometimes, again, it's not always personal. Number six, they're resilient. They persist when they encounter obstacles and get up quickly after following as they know that success is right on the on the right side of failure. Again, like, I hated getting no's when I was knocking door to door, but I had to keep going because I knew what was at stake. Number seven, they have faith. Elite performers have faith that they will succeed if they focus on the right inputs instead of worrying about outcomes. So they show up consistently every day and focus on the, what they can control. Belief, you know, a lot of people talk about the tactics, like 
how should you, what should you say on a cold call? What should you put in an email? Like, how do, how do I create this video? And that's not the goal. Like the goal is the belief in your mind that you can be a successful salesperson. I meditate every morning, or I try to at least. And I try to foster that belief. I try to improve that belief in myself because it's very, very easy to doubt yourself in this career. Like super easy. A day can go by and I can be like, I'm not cut out for this. That still happens to this day, believe it or not. But ultimately, that's why as a, as a sales professional, you have to continue to cultivate that belief in yourself that you can do it. And I believe that everyone in this room can. They have a growth mindset. Elite performers take on a beginner's mind, stay humble, and always strive to get better through continuous learning and mentorship from those who have walked before them. Always looking to grow. You know That doesn't mean you're not grateful for where you've gotten to, but always looking to grow, always staying humble, realizing that you don't have it figured out, you don't have all the answers. I was, you know, saying this humbly, but I was number one overall at Salesforce last year. I was able to, to sort of win over, you know, all my peers and be number one. This year, I'm going to, Ian is my mentor, but he also does coaching. I'm going to, I'm going to be investing $12,000 into his coaching program just to learn how I can continue to improve myself and continue to better myself. Yeah. Right. So you don't need money to invest in yourself. Absolutely not. But I want to treat myself as if I'm back to square one and as, as if I'm, you know, starting again from the bottom. That's the immigrant hustle I learned. And that's the sort of mindset that I've maintained through and throughout. Nine, they sell to executives. So this is, you know, when you guys get to an account executive role, but a lot of the times you need buy-in from senior executives within a company to sell a deal. Like it's not enough to speak to a manager. You know, you can speak to managers and speak to directors, but uh, ultimately they're, they don't have the power to sign off on something and to make a decision. So you use the conversations where you, you know, the, the conversations that I have with managers and directors, I identify the problems with them. And then I'll go to an executive and I'd say, Hey, look, I talked to your employees. Like they said, so, so, and so was a problem. Like, should we do something about this? And then that's how I get their buy-in. And then number 10, they care. Elite performers care about making their customers successful and have you selling as helping their customers solve a problem, alleviate pain or achieve a desired goal or outcome. Um, I commented on a post about this yesterday, but like, I don't know if whoever's watched the Wolf of Wall Street, but that's not sales. Like that is not sales. Um, Sales is soft skills. Sales is caring. Sales is empathy, integrity, respect, (laughs) and honesty. Because ultimately your solution can solve a problem, but your character closes the deal. Nowadays, your your people are going to buy from the people that they like. I'm sure, I know that there are studies out there that prove that even if one solution was better than the other, ultimately companies end up going with the salesperson that treated them the best and worked with them the best. They were, they fostered trust. They were honest. They were timely. They were empathetic to the problem. And they cared more about solving the customer's problem versus selling the solution. And that shows in your conversations, in your back and forth. This can be detected. It's called commission breath. We call it in sales. And we don't want that. So you, I genuinely think that if you're a caring, loving, kind-hearted person, there's no such thing as like, uh, I know like nice, and I know the, the saying is nice guys finish last, but uh, you know, applying it to everybody, like being nice is not a weakness. I think it's actually a strength. Yeah. Um, so I know I, I've talked a lot for, for a long time. I want to leave enough time for questions. So I'll pass it over to, to everybody. That's, that's all for me, folks. <laughs> <laughs>